This is episode 16. You're listening to the All Hazards Podcast, where we take you behind the scenes to give you exclusive access to emergency managers who've been on the front lines of some of the nation's most difficult challenges. Where we have candid conversations about the challenges facing all emergency managers, no matter how big or small the community. Here's your host, Sean Boyd. Okay, so imagine this situation. The first time you visit New York City just happens to be on 9-11. And the second time you visit is during Hurricane Sandy. (laughs) And now the third time? Well, would you even go back? Would there even be a third time? Well, the man we're going to talk to today experienced that string of disasters and suddenly found himself leading the initial emergency response to those historical events. He's a UC Davis alum and fifth generation San Franciscan. He'll tell you all about that and how he helped bring order to chaos in those disasters right now. He is the regional administrator for FEMA Region 9, appointed in July of 2015. So you've been on the job about a year now. Yes, Sean. I've been uh, here since late last fall. And uh, prior to that, served uh, six years in Washington, D.C. And then prior to that, 15 years here. So uh, back again. Back again, coming full circle. How does it feel to be back? Fifth generation San Franciscan. Tell me a little bit about that. So your family goes back a ways. Tell me about that. Yeah, you know, my family uh, was uh, born in San Francisco and uh, a number of generations on my father's side. They were iron workers, worked on the Golden Gate Bridge and other uh, projects in uh, San Francisco over time. And on uh, my mom's side, uh, they are also blue-collar workers and so uh, came together in the city and, uh, and uh, I have a brother. Myself with, uh, two children. Wow, that is. Uh, tell me a little bit about your children. You have two boys? I have two boys, uh, Nicholas and Jack. They're okay. 10 and 6 years old. Uh, Handful. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, but uh, great kids, uh, really appreciative of everything they've done over experience, especially in DC the last six years, and, and the ability to uh, go uh, visit our nation's monuments and understand uh, politics. Uh, Oh, I can imagine. Uh, before we get too far into this, uh, you touched on the fact that on your dad's side of the family, they were uh, iron workers working on the Golden Gate. What do you know about uh, their activity there? It's fascinating to me. So that's got to make you proud whenever you see that Golden Gate Bridge spanning that water there. Yeah, it's great to fly back home to San Francisco or drive across that bridge as you come home. Oh. That, uh, your family's been involved in uh, you know, helping build uh, some of that, uh, uh, that, uh, that great uh, landscape view there in San Francisco. Unbelievable. That's, that's terrific. Tell me about how you got into uh, this line of work, emergency services. 
24 years old. Uh, I was coming out of college like most kids. Uh, I tried a couple uh, ventures uh, playing uh, football. Uh, that didn't seem to pan out. I was looking for a job, uh, finishing up uh, some of my academic education. And uh, a friend of mine uh, from San Francisco's company was starting to work uh, and assisting people nationally. And the contract they got was to go to Rwanda, Africa, and help uh, with uh, the event in the, the genocide event. safety at that point in my life, uh, but looking for adventure, and uh, that's probably what uh, I did. Mm. First started uh, getting into helping and servicing, providing service to others, and after I did that for about a year, year and a half, uh, in different efforts, um, I was introduced to FEMA, and, uh, and I thought about doing this domestically, so at 26, I uh, got a job at FEMA, and uh, the first job, as I tell people, I got at FEMA was uh, to go to a disaster December, I was told I was going to miss Christmas. Of course, at this point, I told them it's okay. I don't believe in Santa anymore. <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, I got deployed to my first event, which was Hawaii. And oh. uh, uh, as a 26-year-old uh, single uh, individual, uh, you know, it was arduous duty. Mm. Uh, but I deployed there for a couple of months. And uh, my first job, believe it or not, was to uh, help with the damage to the golf courses and write grants to... Uh, Remove the debris and help repair the public golf courses in Hawaii. And so, as I tell people, it's kind of all been downhill since. <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of hard to beat that disaster, isn't it? Right? Um, yeah, well, and I, I don't myself remember that event, but I know Hawaii has been hit a number of times since then, uh, once even just about a year or two ago, right? Um, so, you think it was the sense of adventure then that sort of attracted you to this kind of work then, at least? Yeah, uh, adventure. Right. Uh, we'll get back to some of those challenges in just a moment. Recently, you took a, uh, an aerial tour of, uh, of California where you got to see some of the effects of the tree mortality issue that we're dealing with right now. What did you see and when, what did you come away thinking? What did you actually see? Well, um, so uh, much of, uh, uh, if we flew down central California over the Sierras, uh, large areas of the forest have uh, brown uh, trees that are dying uh, and, uh, at different stages. And 
biggest concern is uh, is obviously uh, it's just concerning to see it affect our forests, but uh, as it goes into populated areas, then the concern is impacts the public rights of way, safety, security, um, and always the threat of a virus embedded around. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and especially given the. We're uh, deep into our fifth year of drought and the heat that we're experiencing right now, obviously big contributing factors to the possibility of massive wildfires. And if that was the case, then you guys would certainly step up and, and assume role like you normally do. Um, so, you know, talking about these disasters, what would you say is sort of maybe the biggest or most impactful disaster that you've been on since you've been with FEMA? In, in, let's say, a, a leadership capacity or not? Yeah, so uh, in my uh, 20 years now with FEMA, I've been on probably uh, in the neighborhood of 60 or 70 different presidential mm -hmm. declared disasters, and I've been on some of the biggest ones in our nation, from 9-11 to Katrina in Mississippi, uh, to far away, uh, all the fires in California, to as far away as uh, typhoons in Guam. Yeah. Which one of those impacted you the most? Well, I think, uh, you know, going back to 9-11, and I, I've been to uh, New York three times in my life, because that's mm -hmm. always a story. Uh, the first time was uh, I happened to take the red eye from San Francisco to Philadelphia the night of September 10th, uh, 2001. Mm -hmm. uh, landed in Philadelphia September 11th, and it was heading to a meeting for FEMA. As many people uh, remember that day, uh, on TV, Most of FEMA was at a, uh, a National uh, Emergency Management Association meeting, I think in North Dakota at the time. Mm. And so a large part of our leadership was not in the D.C. area or in the regional area. And uh, when they found, that, found out that I was attending a meeting in Philadelphia, part of one of our national teams, uh, they asked me to deploy with uh, those that were there right away into New York to help establish initial operations at uh, the World Trade Center and support the uh, local fire police rescue uh, services. And How do you even begin to do that? Well, you uh, begin right away uh, by building those relationships there. Again, my first time to New York, mm. so uh, don't know people. Uh, the good news is there was people from Region 2 that were from FEMA that were there to help build those relationships. And you immediately begin to uh, triage and, and understand what are the requirements, uh, you know, gain situational awareness, start to assess, uh, you know, what's happening, and just uh, start to respond with 
what would you say was uh, the big importance or what did you notice that when you were pushing those pictures out to the media and they, of course, were putting them on the air, feeding them out to the world because literally the world was watching. What do you see as the biggest impact of those photos? Well, I think uh, any time uh, an event of that magnitude happens, I think that uh, that event uh, you know, caught the United States by surprise. And the attack was so severe. Um, uh, sometimes there's disbelief. And I think those pictures uh, provide um, the ability for uh, the whole United States to, to understand the totality What would you say, looking back on that, uh, would be the biggest challenge that you personally faced in your leadership role? So it took you at least, what, three, four days to even get a handle on the scope and the magnitude and then what resources were needed? How long into the event did the emotional wear and tear start to affect you? So the third time I 
some of uh, their memories from that. One of my good friends that was down there with us, uh, Andrea Buhar, is uh, a photographer for FEMA, and her uh, photographers on it are on exhibit at the Mount Olympic Memorial. So oh. Being able to look back at that, see the history, see the impacts of uh, you know probably the first time Beverly sat there and, and thought about it, and uh, and it is. How, uh, you know, for the benefit of those people who may end up working this kind of an event, an event with a lot of destruction, a lot of emotional toll being taken, what would you tell those folks how to focus on your job and somehow get past the emotional impact of these things? How do you do that? Be there uh, as a, uh, especially as I, in a leadership position as I was early on, uh, to be able to provide clear direction uh, and clear communication uh, to not only your organization, but to support other organizations that are severely impacted. Uh, one of the things early on that we got tasked to do in that was uh, help the Newark Fire Department uh, actually putting on the funerals. Mm. So really just focus on those. That's right. Yeah. So we've talked a little bit about uh, some of the, you know, the biggest challenge uh, of the biggest disaster of your career. What would you consider, you know, your greatest success in any one of these disasters? What are you most proud of that you were able to accomplish?
obviously with a career as uh, fulfilling as yours, uh, the wide variety of incidents that you've been on, you said 60 to 70 major disasters, presidential. Um, there has to be a mistake in there, maybe something that you've learned from. Uh, what have you conveyed to other folks when you've talked to uh, young up, up-and-coming emergency responders, emergency managers? What did mistake have you talked about, uh, one that you've learned from? Right. I think the one the one thing that uh, the public remembers in terms of FEMA, if you mention FEMA, it comes down to New Orleans. That's the one that got, you know, the most I, I think the most uh, media attention, the most media scrutiny. Um, what was your role uh, with New Orleans? Well, I was in Mississippi. OK. Essentially hit um, Mississippi, and uh, so we moved as many people further down to Mississippi as we could. Mm. Um, you know, I think Mississippi was much different than than Louisiana, and while I wasn't in Louisiana, I uh, was able to talk to uh, a great number of my colleagues in keeping as we did coordination calls to kind of understand the gravity of what was happening. But uh, but I think what people miss. was severely impacted. And if you went down to the, the shores, uh, Hancock County, Harrison County, uh, totally destroyed. Uh, the, the wave surge was just unbelievable down there. And I think the difference was uh, the leadership at all levels of government in Mississippi. Uh, Haley Barber, who was the governor, was a very strong governor. Uh, we had uh, very strong leadership in Mississippi from FEMA, uh, very strong leadership at local government level. And while we did have issues and we did have problems, not everything went right. Uh, we were able to work together toward a common 
obviously you can't get through uh, the type of work that you do uh, dealing with one disaster after another without remembering some advice that someone gave you along the line. Was there any one piece of advice that sticks out in your mind, something that you've taken to heart that you rely on uh, every time you go out to a disaster or uh, maybe there was something a mentor told you at one point throughout your career? Well, I think it's, uh, you know, it goes back to those uh, tenets of leadership. You need to be able to listen. Uh, mm. You need to be uh, empathetic. Uh, you need to be able to uh, make clear decisions. Uh, you need to be able to uh, be able to lead, set direction, uh, and, and uh, uh, do those things that help It's got to be in your DNA. I mean, that the willingness and the desire to help people in times of need, right? Well, there's a lot yeah. of great Americans out there as uh, you know, first responders and emergency managers. It's definitely in their DNA. Mm -hmm. Today, I was at the National IMAP uh, training uh, and exercise uh, for all three of our National IMAP teams. And one of the things that I walked away with is that one of the reasons why they all do this is because of service. Mm -hmm. and so um, I think it's in the military's, uh, uh, you know, within their DNA. And uh, it's good to uh, be in a country where we have so many people that are willing to help others, whether uh, you're in a professional organization or you're volunteering that through uh, a voluntary agency or you're part of a faith-based organization. But uh, our country does an amazing job at the greatest times of coming together uh, for service and helping uh, each other out. I would agree. It's a, it's amazing to watch how we can put aside our differences and come together when we need to come together. And the hurdles that we're able, able to overcome is, is impressive. And it does make you proud to be an American. It does. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of technology out there, too. Um, obviously, the military, the federal government, state governments, we all rely on this really great technology as much as we possibly can. Is there anything that, that maybe anyone could utilize something, a tool that you utilize that maybe uh, you would recommend they, they get a hold of? Well, it's amazing how far we've come. Uh, you know, we talked about my career 20 years, and, and I think, uh, you know, when I left college just a couple of years before the end of my career, the internet was just coming out. And we've moved so far oh, yeah. uh, down the road with technology, and, uh, and one of the biggest changes is the use of smartphones, I think, now. Yeah. Uh, we're trying to change to set up systems or processes where people have to come to us to seek assistance, but now we're trying to set up uh, processes and systems to for us to make it easier for them and go to them, whether that's us physically going out to them or setting up um, services such as our mobile app that allows people to access our systems and whether it's applying for assistance or receiving alerts from the National Weather Service or, quite frankly, uh, maybe they want to assist us with, by providing uh, information uh, of you know, flood 
also has uh, tips on there as far as safety uh, and, and has information there that I think uh, would benefit uh, everyone. So using that app but, uh, and other apps uh, similar to that mm -hmm. uh, is, is really uh, uh, been the biggest change I've seen. I, I can almost operate today uh, <laughs> almost completely on my smartphone. Yeah. Oh man, yeah. Sure. Okay, finally I'm going to throw out some names. And then when I'm done reading off these names, tell me what you remember. Uh, Nancy Ward, Mark Gillarducci, uh, and uh, Mr. Fukutomi. You guys go back a ways, don't you? Oh, yeah, we do. Uh, so uh, Nancy Ward uh, is probably the best manager I've ever worked for. Really? Yes, uh, bar none. Huh. Um, she is uh, uh, very fair. Um, she has always given me opportunities uh, to... Hmm. Uh, and, and, uh, my um, Mark Giladucci, uh great friend, uh, probably uh, one of the better leaders I've been around. He understands uh, really Homeland Security, the emergency management. He understands the law enforcement. He understands the fire side of things. Uh, his his knowledge. Yeah, and you guys, uh, you mentioned the urban search and rescue. You guys came together and sort of helped develop that system, didn't you? Well, uh, it was developed before I got the FEMA. Okay, so how did, how did it work? I know there was some connection there with well, you guys. So how did that come to be? And you, right? 
after. Okay. Okay. I just don't want you to downplay your role in this because I, you know, okay. I've, uh, I've had a large part in, in continuing to help it grow. Okay. And uh, much success when uh, they need to be called upon, right? Right, right? All right. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap things up? So uh, you mentioned Dave Fukutami, uh, another individual that I, a great friend of mine that I grew up uh, as a colleague uh, that I've had the opportunity to work for, uh, who uh, just has a wealth of experience uh, coming from Cowley uh, S. Well, we're, we're very happy to have him and everybody else that we've been talking about uh, on our leadership team. I want to thank you so much for uh, taking the time to talk with me. Um, I know we're running short on time, so I just want to make sure that I get that in there. Is there anything else that you wanted to touch on before we wrap it up? My pleasure. Thank you very much. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, we've talked about that many times, the great statewide mutual aid system we have here in California. Now, when you have a federal emergency management leader praising the state system, you know you're onto something good, right? All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you'll have it right there at your fingertips, your convenience. They come out every two weeks very easy to listen to. Download from iTunes. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time right here. You've been listening to the Cal OES All Hazards Podcast. 
Don't forget to check out our podcast page where you can find past episodes along with show notes and links. And give us a social shout out. Tell others about us on Twitter and Facebook. And let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you.